This podcast is sponsored by Dent Magic, your Bristol-based car body repair company. Visit us at Cripps Causeway or Central Bristol, or we can even come to you with our mobile service at your home or workplace. Have you got a scuff, scratch or dent on your vehicle? Dent Magic can fix them all. If you need the magic touch for your vehicle, visit www.dentmagic.net to get your quick quote online today. I'm delighted, as Matt said, to be joined by Steve Lansdowne. Steve, how are you, sir? Hey, good, Patch. Morning, Thank gentlemen. You. Good morning, Steve. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the bonus show. It is, as I said, it's a, a real honour, something that we're really grateful for, for you coming on a, a fan-produced Bristol City podcast. So once again, thank you so much. First thing for me is around gratefuls. It's something that we've that we've really been championing in work over the last year just things that you're grateful for. Um, we're grateful for you joining us on the podcast. I've, as I've said, we're grateful for the stadium, the high performance center, and both of which represent such a big leap forward for the club. I want to just know from you, Steve, do you realize how grateful the Bristol City fan base and the rest of the Bristol sport fan base are for your investment? Well, that's a tricky one to answer, isn't it? Because um, if I say, if I say no, that says I think people are ungrateful. <laughs> and if I say if I say yes, I think they. <laughs> but I just want you to know that people don't take it for granted. No, I, I think the majority of people recognise, you know, what what what's happened over the the, the last 10, 15 years, uh, the investment that's been made, and and the advances that the football club have made because of that. Um, there's always an element that will always want to be critical, always feel they're missing out. Um, and you have to accept that in life, that you can't please everybody. But no, I mean, look, I, I look at what's been achieved and um, and I, I'm just, you know, in, if you like, delighted in, 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 in the performance of everybody. And uh, uh, as I look here now and I look at, I mean, obviously the, sta- the stadium is, is, is something I think everybody that's been involved with Bristol City never expected. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I expected it sometimes. Um, <laughs> and And... But the, the, the high performance centre is just something that was so long overdue for the football club um, and probably should have been built before the stadium, if we're honest, um, because it's where the players spend most of the time and uh, your, your, your development takes place. So um, everything's in place now to, to take us forward. And uh, you're welcome on every week, Steve, OK? <laughs> <laughs> you can do the, the post-match ratings with us, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do that sometime. But I learned, I learned ages ago, uh, whatever you do, don't... don't. I mean, I, I do have my say about certain players from time to time, but I, I try not to because I just know it upsets people. Of course. And, you don't, and, it, it's, it's, and especially after a match. It's the yeah, worst yeah. time to do it. You don't, you, don't, you don't sit in our office waiting for someone to walk around and give us a score out of 10, do we? <laughs> Just as well. <laughs> oh, brilliant. It was either 96 or 97. Uh, no, it was a 96-97 season, I think. Um, and um, we and Scott Davidson, um, together with John Laycock, sort of led a, a buyout of the, the club at that time and asked myself and Keith Dorr, uh, whether we would basically put some money in and, and join them, which we did. Um, to be honest, at that point in time, I had no desire or inclination to come onto the board of Bristol City Football Club. But then transpired that the following season, um, that uh, Scott and I think John Clapp was the other at the time, both went overseas uh, for, for 12 months or so uh, and left the board short and asked whether we'd go onto the board 
so we did. I have to point out we got promotion that year. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but we also got relegated the following year. Um, but uh, so that that's where we got involved, and and so and 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 I sort of took on the role because I was the accountant of of uh, I won't say FD, but in, in charge of the accounts. And I, I I remember we used to have the AGMs out in um, school in um, Eastern somewhere. Come on, what's called now? Um, and um, and I said, you know, my ambition is for this this club to make a profit. And it took me till last year, the year before last, to to do that. Um, but it was, but he kept looking at. Uh, so I was involved in the background. I was never um, wanting to uh, to be at the forefront. But then, to be uh, to be honest, that there was there was discontent amongst the board members during the period um, for all sorts of silly reasons. Now, when you look back on it, but it was it was, and so it got to the point where um, Scott stepped stepped down. Uh, John Lakeup took came on my board he was chairman and I, I became vice chairman and then john decided to step down and i stepped up as chairman which was in 2002 um i remember because i think it was just after we'd beaten cheltenham at their place um and actually the first game we had was away to oldham as chairman and i would I, I wasn't actually going there it's the last place i ever want to go to watch football to be honest it's so cold <laughs> it's and not the, the greatest yeah <laughs> and, 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 and at that time the the, the, the seats for the boardroom de- or the directors were so narrow even for me i couldn't get my legs in there properly um you definitely couldn't jump out your seat but i haven't said that there was nothing much to jump out your seat for um but the, the, what happened was so then, so, so for that point on and then if you actually then follow the progression of Bristol City and Hargis Zanzone. Hargis Zanzone floated in 2007. So, whereas I helped to fund most of the things between 2002 to 2007, after 2007, I was able to take the club on and fund it more and more. So that's how that 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 sort of took off. So from 2007, I would say in a way, was when I really got in control of the club. We've asked this question on the bonus show before about pre-match superstitions. So have you developed any over the years? We've heard some really, really strange ones, like someone who touches the trolley at Halfords as they come in uh, to the ground, things like that. Have you have you developed any over time? No, I think I can thank Bristol City for actually destroying any myths that I've had over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wearing the same underpants and all the various other things. Uh, there, there's, I've there's, done there's, that. <laughs> there are certain things. I, I remember once that... Um, uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't like wearing suit and tie to football matches and such like, um, but I do. Um, and because the one time I didn't, uh, I think it was, it was when we were playing Fulham and we were 4-0 down at halftime. And I thought that's that's a sign I got to wear my tie in future. So uh, um, I do that. But no, I, I, we, I think we all do have some uh, superstitions. It usually happens, you know, when a few... You know, we haven't lost a game since I did this. So you carry on doing it for as long as you possibly can so you don't break the sequence. So we'll always be doing that. But nothing in particular. I don't touch a half of the trolley or anything like that I can think of. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. I People, I, I never predict the score. That's one thing I would ever do. Everybody says, well, what's the score going to be today? I will never predict it. I'm the same. And, and everybody asks me, you know, how, how are you going to get on today? I say, well, you know, I always expect to win. I always exactly. expect to win. But, you know, I'm... I'm 
I know what football's all about, so it doesn't always work out that way, but I always expect to win. We've had some great days, great nights at Ashton Gate. Um, I interviewed Jeff Stellin back in uh, back in last year, and he was at the Hartlepool game uh, where obviously we, we, we won 2-1 with that last, last minute, couple of goals. Um, and he said that he'd never felt a ground shake. And this is coming from Jeff Stellin, who I imagine has been to, to a number of games. Man United game as well at home. Two two ideas for you, but you may have your own. What's your what's your best day slash night ever at Ashton Gate in terms of football? Well, I'm going to talk about if I can talk about those two as well because I, I I I was there at the Hartlepool game and uh, I don't know if you remember in that in that game in the first half Hartlepool hit the post mm. as well um, and uh, Jeff Stelling and I were actually stood next to each other watching the replays on the TV at halftime oh, right. <laughs> and, he, and he and they kept playing it over and over and I turned to him and I said. However long you watch it, it's not going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a great night. And I think Graham Paul was refereeing that day, and he made the same comment. You know, he's, he's been in lots of big grounds and big crowds, but the, the noise and, and the reverberation around the ground when that uh, when the well, when the second goal went in was unbelievable. Uh, so that was that was a fantastic night. Disappointing final, of course. Um, uh, Manchester United. I mean. Yeah, the Corey Smith goal. Man. I mean, actually, um, Joe Bryan's goal as well, but the Corey Smith moment. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just the magical moment. I think every time I see it, you know, it hairs on the back of your neck, it's yeah. just unbelievable. Um, but I think yeah, the one I... I get emotional I, I, just thinking about it, Steve, to be honest. I know, yeah. I know. It's, it's, it, shows, it shows what we're capable of. I think that's the thing is also that I, I, I think we, we should always keep that in mind. But, um, yeah, I, the game that I always talk about is the Mansfield away. Um, when we were, you know, four-two down with three minutes yeah, to go, yeah. and we won five-four. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just unbelievable. Because particularly because most of the fans had disappeared from the away end, <laughs> heading home down the, the M1. Never leave um, early. That's the message to the Bristol yeah. City fans. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but but the, the, the stories that came out of that are people who had left, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, but it, it was it was interesting. Just just going back to that because they played about five or six minutes of extra time. And in the in the in the boardroom afterwards, I mean, the the Mansfield guys were just absolutely furious, absolutely furious. Um, and we we stayed outside for a while because we just knew they were going to be that way. And they they they, they hadn't been calm that much by the time we got in there. But the a, a chat came over to me, and he was the referee's assessor, and he said that he said just ignore what they're saying. He said because you know I timed everything; it was absolutely spot on. And what made it Actually, quite um, uh, interesting was the, 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 I can't remember his name now. I've got a feeling it might be Styles, but I might be just guessing on that. Anyway, he was the referee that had refereed the uh, uh, Leyland Daft Cup final, whatever it was at Wembley that we've been to when we lost two one to Stoke Stoke's about the week or so before. Um, and uh, and uh, we were really upset with him at that game. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he was he was nice to us at the Mansfield game. But that was that. that I think that that just tells you everything about football. You know, yeah. the fact is the game can change in an instant, um, and you should always stay and watch that the whole game, never give up. Um, and that's that's why we love it. The yeah. fact that uh, and you know the the the, the Brownhill goal that uh, Casey Palmer put the ball over. Again, I can't remember who was against Charlton. there in the last minute. Charlton, that's right. Yeah. yeah, a game where we should have you know, had it sewn up and we're making hard work of it, and suddenly you get that winner. Just no feeling like it. The, the Man United game, there's a, a young lad stood next to me, and, and I was crying. Corey Smith scored, I'm crying. Mm-hmm. And this lad, and the flags the, that, that night, the way that it was done with the flags. And I said to this young lad, 
just take this in. I've been following the club 45 years. These moments don't come around like this very often. So just mm. take it in. And it was just, it, it lives with you to your, your dying day, doesn't it? That sort of feeling. It's just, yeah. I don't think there's anything else that gives you that buzz. Yeah, I know you want to finish, patch, but I got to mention the Louis Donovan goal against the Rovers years ago. Steve, we can go on. We can go on till three o'clock if you want. <laughs> I can see it now, Steve. That goal because and again, I was in the I was in the Williams stand and uh, you know just on my season ticket at the time, and I I, I, I can't remember. Was it the game where we probably had five thousand more in the ground than we should have had? I can't remember. It was one of those. It, it, it was packed a, anyway. Yeah, it was. And but when that goal went, I don't know why I ended up. To be honest, it was it was just all over the place. Yes, yeah. it was just a fantastic moment. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely amazing memories. Morning, guys, and uh, happy birthday, Rich. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. yeah. It's, been a, it's been a while since we spoke. But... Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I was in the memory there, Rich. I was in oh. the memory. <laughs> Some good ones, hopefully, Steve. <laughs> a few. A few. A few laughs. Yeah. So, um, Steve, thank you so much for coming on Three Peeps in a Podcast. Um, it's, as Rich said, it's an absolute honour and couldn't have worked out much better on Rich, Rich's 50th birthday. So uh, it's going to be a good Friday for everybody. Um, I joined Hargreaves Lansdowne back in 2001 um, when there was only about 300 employees. But Rich trumps that. He joined in 1992 when there were only 35 employees. Yeah, quite probably, yeah. I was trying to think it... it we sort of went up it's i can remember it sort of growing to when we had about 80 employees which a bit after that and then it sort of just mushroomed after that so then i lost track of everybody <laughs> <laughs> i mean as as we know steve um hargreaves Lansdowne was formed in in bristol in 1981 but just a couple of questions around that sort of starting point i mean where did you actually meet peter hargreaves i imagine you must have had a number of role models and mentors that you sort of lent on at that point to start that organization uh, that sounds a bit grand. No, to be perfectly honest, I met Peter. We both joined a firm in uh, a small broking firm in was in Cheltenham Road, um, and uh, he came down from Clitheroe, and he was in internal audit with Whitbreads at the time. Um, and uh, I was with Tushos in in, in in tax in the tax department there, assistant manager there, looking at uh, accountancy agents or the adverts. So I, I I applied and joined. So we both met up at that time. So that was in actually in September 1979. Uh, we started there. Uh, it didn't work out as a, as a business. Um, there was about six of us joined at the same time and everybody drifted away. And if you like, Peter and I were the last two standing. And um, we we teamed up together. Um, in And we picked the date, the 1st of July 1981. We were together before that because we started in, in, in the previous guys. But July 1st, 1981 was the start of Hargreaves Lansdowne and in Peter's front bedroom. So that's where it all kicked off, really. Wow. Mm-hmm. Rich, obviously, you came along in, in, in 1992, as, as we said. Yeah, um, that, that was the upright of the company, I think. <laughs> Rich, over to you. Any questions for Steve on the, on the early days? Well, I was, I was thinking, when did you kind of first know, when did you and Peter first know that you kind of, you've hit onto something that, Obviously, you didn't know how how big it would grow, but when did you kind of think this this is going somewhere? This has got legs. I think we've made it. Yeah, it's difficult to answer that one, Rich, because I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure anybody really knows. Uh, Peter will always say that he knew we were going to be successful just by he didn't know how much we how how well we were going to be successful, how good we were going to be. Um, I think, from my own point of view, is that you know, in 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 the 
1981, when we set up and Peter and I came together as Hargreaves Lansdowne, I, I, I was in the frame of mind that I needed to prove myself that I could do the job because I'd left accountancy in 1979. It hadn't worked out, but I, 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 just, I wasn't going to go back into accountancy unless I actually had to, i.e. for monetary purposes, and I wanted to make it a success. So, you know, we started working together. We had a similar philosophy, um, and you know Peter well, so we're, we're quite opposites in many ways. Um, but uh, th- those opposites, you know, like, like magnets, um, we, we were attracted to each other. So we worked well together. We had similar standards. We know we, we didn't like to borrow money. Uh, so we, we earned everything we, we spent. We didn't, we didn't borrow a penny in excess of that. We kept things very much under control. We worked very, very hard. Um, and, and the business started to, to happen. Um, but it wasn't probably until, um, well, I suppose the first stock market crash and thereafter is probably the time I felt that we, we, we knew we were going to survive because we went through about 1987 uh, was, a, was, a, was a torrid time that year. It's the first time we'd experienced a real sort of setback in stock markets and, and panic around the world. And, uh, you know, we came through that. I think we came through, we were flying colours, to be honest, because we kept, our, kept in touch with our clients. We kept talking to them. Um, we, we didn't hide. Um, and uh, we, we did our best to look after them in that difficult time. And their loyalty shone through afterwards. So I think we knew we had a, a business then. Then it's a question of how, how big we could grow it. Um, and I think we were, when we moved into, into the 90s, as you joined, really, that uh, we were starting on the, on the real expansion trail. Because 91, I think, was when we formed Hargreaves Lands and Stockbrokers. Um, and we had, this, you know, we had the, uh, the single company um, PEPs at those times, personal equity plans, which are now uh, uh, individual savings accounts. Um, and, and privatisation programme took off in, in the 90s. So uh, British Gas, Steel, um, Telecom, etc., all happened during the 90s and we built up as you know because you worked on it significant database of, of investors i was gonna say my, my first role was literally literally the advert was about that about you no know, two inches in the evening post i think just the office office junior and i kind of joined and my role was literally adding on because you used to send out adverts you know for a, a guide to the isas you know, send a pound coin attached to a bit of newspaper and that, that come back and i literally used, used to add names addresses on the database this ever-expanding database and that's how I joined and then showed an interest in graphic design and oh, no, that's my history anyway. But yeah, the company was, I remember like Dave Lambert, those people like doing accounts on paper before like the computer systems come in, things like that. So that's how, far, that's how far things have changed. We don't know we're born these days, Rich, with emails. <laughs> we don't, yeah, you don't. <laughs> uh, Dave, Dave Lambert, I mean, bless him, was, was you know, he, he joined us from uh, what was in those days Stock Beach, um, which went through its own problems at that time. But, um, and he basically wrote everything down on a piece of paper, as you say, which is the best form of accounting and computer system you can have because you never lose yeah. it. It's there always in front of you. Um, but he went, I always remember as we, as we developed the systems, he kept insisting on doing that every day. So every deal he wrote out on a piece of paper. And uh, it got to the point where I had to you know, take the piece of paper off him and, and rip it up and put it in the bin. So he didn't <laughs> use it anymore. He used the computer. Uh, so it was, uh, no, that was the start of Harkers and Stop Brokers. And, and uh, you know, that was all part of uh, how we developed the, the platform ultimately and, uh, and uh, the Vantage platform and, and, and grew our clients and grew our assets under administration. So that was the beginning of everything really at that point. And um, uh, it, to be honest, it, those were great days because everybody was bucking in together. I mean, I'm sure you stuffed envelopes with the rest of us uh, well, during that period. I, I do. I always tell the story. If I ever mention I worked for Hargreaves Lansdowne, I always kind of tell the story that you and Peter 
still sat on the you no know, with everyone else. They were, they weren't these oak paneled. You now you see on sitcoms, you see like the oak paneled offices with the boss tucked away. It was not. You were like yeah, like you stuffing envelopes yourself. You were sat. You were just sat in the room with, with everyone else. I thought it was a brilliant way of you no know, two you know, owners of companies just happy to you know first name terms just chit chat. It was brilliant. It was like, and I, I was going to ask the question. Not the happiest era of your kind of time there, but when do you kind of, I don't know, fondest memories? Was it the early days when it was just starting? Was it the middle kind of when people, it was still like a close family? Was it the expansion? No. It's, I think if you talk about it, you talk about the early days. You always do. And it's because of that sort of camaraderie that we had. And uh, and again, we didn't have so much regulation and, and such like yeah. to, to, to get us down then. Um, but those are the days when you know you were building a business, and that's what I think was the most fun bit of it was building a business that now we look back on it and what it, what it's turned into. Yeah. Uh, but at those times, you know, the fact that as you say, you know, we all sat there, we all stuffed envelopes, we did our share, um, and uh, I always again going back to the very early days in in, in well, whenever it was, it was uh, 1981. It must have been um, Peter and I were sat in his front garden in Clifton. Um, I say front garden, it was a postage stamp, you know, at the back of uh, <laughs> uh, Gloucester, Gloucester Street there. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we were there. It was a nice sunny day, but it was, it was the day of the uh, Charles and Diana's royal wedding, uh, oh, okay. going back to that. And we were stuffing envelopes, sending out some mail shots, to, to one of our very early ones, you know. So that, and it, it, it was it was just fun. You know, it was, it, if you look at it now, you think, gosh, you know, <laughs> what, what on earth were you thinking of doing, really? But it was, it was that. That's what we did, and and, and then we, the response to those mail shots going out um, was, you know, it then it, it inciting to us and, and encouraging to us. And I know Peter used to love, and I used to enjoy doing it as well. I won't deny it. Is that when we sent because we did a lot of things where, we, where people applied to us and sent the checks back in with the application forms for investments in the early days. And we used to, as as time went on, we get we got part. You know, the piles got bigger and bigger and bigger. And sort of the fun type thing was just counting through the checks to see how much money had come in that day. Of course, now with computers and the internet and everything else, you never see all that. It's all, but you get much bigger numbers now, yeah. of course. But uh, it, that was that was fun times. But it, but actually, it's, it's it's the basic principles of what business is all about, and what if you like the business of Hargreaves Landstein is all about. And I think sometimes that uh, you know the people within HR now should actually go, there ought to be a film showing what what was happening then because that's exactly what they're doing now, but yeah, in a much definitely. bigger scale. Um, they're, they're investing clients' money. They're putting ideas out. They're getting the they're getting the business in, and then they're looking after it. And that's what Hargreaves Landstein is all about. What, what year did you move into Kendall House, um, and how big an achievement was that to have you know an, a purpose office built almost? Yeah, that was again exact date. I'm not quite sure. Ninety four. I would have given hazard a guess at. Um, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Again, it was an interesting thing because that's just more or less 10 years after we'd started, uh, well, just over a dozen years um, when we started building it. Uh, and the business had been successful. Uh, we'd had made money. Pete and I were doing quite nicely. And so the first time we ever really took any money out of the business was we took the money out and we then used the money to, buy, to build the office. Uh, so that was like, a, in, in those days, we were thinking that's our pension fund that office i always uh, remember when i when i joined and it was a big thing and you guys were obviously so proud of it the fact that they, that you had no debt in terms of you know for the building of the office yeah and, and uh it, that it was the way we were it's it's if, if you don't owe anybody anything then then you can you can judge how you what you, you know what you're going to spend your money on and, and get get the return on it 
Um, Theresa uh, Barry, who joined us, our first full-time employee, um, you know, I mean, she was very instrumental, you know, with, between Peter and myself, if you like, to, to ensure that everything we were doing was making a return on what we did. So every time we sent a mail shout out or we did a, a marketing campaign, she, you know, she worked out on our calculator before we started as to what we needed to do to break even, to make X amount and what our targets were. So again, even in those days, we were, even though we didn't probably realize at the time, we were formulating that sort of, don't do anything without knowing what you're doing it for. Yeah. In terms of the, the culture at Hargreaves Lansdowne, um, it was a very hard working culture. I know, Rich, you were often there till late at night producing um, you know, the literature and, and the, the investment uh, in, times. Exactly. The, yes, yeah, the investment <laughs> times. And, you know, 5th of April, which we're not far away from, I was working in accounts and we were often there till gone midnight because everyone likes to leave it to the last minute to get their tax allowance in. Um, and then around the flotation than the volume of letters that were coming in, in terms of, you know, people who subscribed to get the shares and then we had to send back the balance and things like that. Very hardworking culture. And, and Steve, obviously people wanted to, to chip in, wanted to go that extra mile for, for you and Peter. Well, I can go back to what we were just talking about earlier. I think the fact that we, we, we you know, we, we did it naturally. It wasn't that we thought, oh, we'll do this because it'll be good for everybody else. We did it because it was the right thing to do in our in our view, that why ask you to do something if we weren't prepared to do it ourselves? Um, and I like to think of virtually everything, job in the office, <laughs> up to a certain point now, um, you know, that uh, I, I, I did at some point in, in time so I could relate to it and understand what, what people were thinking. But... Um, you know, reality was that we mucked in, and, and people saw us mucking in. And if if we were, you know, if we were in early or we were there late, as we often were, obviously during those times, um, then people would, would want to do the same thing. Um, and hopefully, we looked after people well, and we rewarded them well, and 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 and, and they could see the fruits of the labour coming 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 forth. So yeah, yeah, it, it was it it was a hard working environment. We had some great times, great fun. You know, the the, the old Christmas parties were good. Um, the Celtic, you know, that's what the you know the highlights were. Celtic Manor, I always oh, think classics. it was a great time. <laughs> Rich, well, we probably was, can't was, tell any stories about your Christmas parties. Well, I remember I, I used to do a little bit of a speaking at those. I used to do like a little award ceremony at those uh, early Christmas parties. But touching touching back on the investment times and what Steve said about rewards, the rewards were there, but. When we when we were working till midnight, this is days before like internet. Really, this is this is dial up internet. We used to have to save the PDF file of each page onto a little floppy disk, <laughs> give it to the person who would put it on their computer. They then literally manually make changes, give it back to. It's like, but the rewards were there, and you were I like like you said, we were happy to work. It, it was almost like um, on us that investment times is uh, the satisfaction of that going out printing and seeing kind of my design that I kind of really kind of was my own design really going out to print to all these thousands and millions of clients was so satisfying. It was brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, Steve, I think that's a, I think that's that's a key that's thing. Actually, we didn't mind working late. Yeah. That's a key thing, Rich, because in, in a sense, looking back on it, I don't think either, I, don't, I know we, 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 we wanted, we knew what we wanted to put in the investment times and, and anything we sent out and why we wanted to do it, but it was actually left to the people doing the job to, to actually come up with that. And it was, when it went out, it was your piece of work that went yeah. out. So you had that pride in it. And, and you wanted it to be successful. Um, that's, I think, that's a, a, a very good point to always remember. That let people, you know, let people do the job that they're there to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So you, you, you never had, you never had none of this kind of looking over your shoulder, kind of, you know, oh no, you should be doing that, you should be doing that. Like you said, it was left to us to do, and we hopefully yeah. took on board what you told us, and we just did it. So yeah, happy days. Great. 
it's a great um, you know way to be in, in the organization I work in now, that top-down culture in terms of role modeling. You have to role model behaviors. At the moment, you know, there's a big drive to get people out walking because obviously we're, we're all working from home. You're not doing the commute. You're not walking around the office talking to people. So we're trying to encourage people to take their phone and go for a walk and have a meeting. And it's getting the, the leaders to role model that to then make it acceptable for everybody else. And I think that's what you're sort of touching on there, Steve. Yeah. And actually, if just going off a slight tangent there, uh, I mean, we're lucky in Guernsey that we're now we're, we're out of lockdown, been out of lockdown for a, a couple of weeks. As soon as people keep talking now about well, the way offices are going to change and people are going to be working from home more in the future and everything else, I don't believe that for a moment. Because as soon as we got here, we, we got out of lockdown here the first time, we've been out of lockdown twice now, um, and we went back to normal life. I thought to myself, I'd probably do more work from home. Um, and, and But as soon as you get the opportunity to go back in the office, to see people again physically, to, to, to exchange ideas, to have a bit of banter and everything else, that's what you suddenly realise how much you missed it. And you know, I can't imagine what you guys are going through not having done, you know, sort of been in the office things for 12 months or so. That's, that's frightening. But I think uh, as soon as you get the opportunity to get back in the office, it's not up to me to say you must go back in you'll want to do it anyway because it's just being part of uh being part of that team again yeah i don't think we'll be going back in sat in a corner with our laptops i think we'll be you know in a couple of days a week actually yeah, speaking we'll to people phased, and interacting back in i think because if you've got a canteen there you need staff to kind of pay the food so i think yeah like it'd be fate i think within a year or two years time it'd be back to normal offices full there'd be an initial phase in kind of thing getting people half in but it will go back to normal yeah I think so. Steve, a question for you around how how hard was it for you to hand the reins almost over to someone else? Um, something that you've built up over a number of years. Was it something that you know, obviously it was your baby, your yours and Peter's baby? How or how hard was that separation? It was hard in the sense that um, you wanted to make sure that when you handed it over, it would continue. There wouldn't be a sort of a, a hiatus and things would fall off or um, and. But I, 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 I'll tell you the moment I knew I, I, I was going to make that move because um, we, we were building the new, the new offices on Harborside, where, where HL are now. <clears throat> um, and we got to the, the, the final fit out bit and I was stood at the top of the, um, the, the, the on the third floor on the top of the stairs looking out over it, imagined everybody in there. And I, and I thought I was there with Ian Gorman, who was the CEO at the time. And I didn't say this to him. I just thought it through in my own head. I looked at it and I thought, this is not for me. You know, this is too. You know, I've 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 come this far with the with the business. It's now going to go to an an much more than than we've had in the past. I I this is the time for me to step aside. Uh, so I, I knew in my own mind that was the thing to do. Also, that was thirty odd years on into the into the um you know the the business. So I'd given basically more than half my life um uh to the to the company, and I just felt I wanted to do other things. There was the football I was involved with, obviously, at that time that I wanted to make sure I pushed on with. Um, but there was other things I wanted to do as well. And I knew I had to step back from HL to be able to do that properly. Um, so it was difficult. But in the end, you know, I tried to phase it so that I, you know, when we when, when I when I went, everything was in place. Um, but, but that's impossible. You just have to make that move. And in fact, Peter said to me one day, he said, why don't you just off? <laughs> <laughs> Which is which is the best advice he gave me, really? Because I thought, yeah, you're right. I gotta go. I can I can <laughs> imagine I can imagine that. <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, brilliant. I always remember Peter walking around on a Friday afternoon, telling jokes and stories. Um, yeah, good, great character. Um, mm. 
so you moved on nicely there. Nice segue into, you know, to Bristol City and Bristol Sport. I mean, around Bristol Sport, where did that idea come from? Was it something that you always planned in the back of your mind? Were you hoping to uh, get synergies, uh, efficiencies from that? And obviously that's, you know, where we are now. Okay. Uh, the, the idea came from a trip to Barcelona, which I'll come back to in a second. But, you know, I've been involved in Bristol City Football Club since 1996, you know, as an investor stroke and board member. Um, and it became very clear to me as we went through the, the normal process of running a football club, which nobody ever realizes what it is um, from the outside. Uh, but trying to manage a situation which is outside of your control in most cases is very difficult. Um, and unless you're uh, at Manchester United or... And Bristol's almost in the wrong place for a football club, if I'm, if I'm honest. It's, 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 life's too comfortable in Bristol in many ways. Um, that might sound strange to all those people. I know that they're struggling there, but it, it, there's not enough chimney pots. Uh, as they say, in, uh, so you haven't got that sort of tradition of football um, so, um, or successful football, shall I say. Um, and and I, I kept racking my brains as, as we were going through this process. If, if, if you actually look at my, sort of my, my career in Bristol City, it was the, the, the year I, uh, I invested along with Scott Davidson and Coates to, took over, we got to the playoffs of, the, of what is now League One and we lost to Brentford. Um, John Ward had been appointed. We got into that playoffs. That was fantastic. And the following year, we got promoted. The following year, we made a disastrous campaign in, in, in what is now the championship, and we got relegated again. Um, and then we struggled for many, many years to get back out of League One again. And you look asking yourself, how do we, how are we going to make a difference? And everybody says you've got to throw lots of money at it. And you know, there, there is there is an answer to that in some ways. But reality was, you had to build something. And I just kept thinking that Bristol is not going to, you know, Bristol City is not going to be a successful football club in its own right. I couldn't see how we could make it successful in its own, despite all the all the all the support we get from supporters and sponsors and different times and everything else, and the fact we could get some good players there and and it it just didn't. I, I don't feel we could we could build a sustainable, successful football club. So that was the, that was the, the thought that was always going in the back of my mind. Bristol Rugby um, got itself into trouble. Um, needed to be bailed out, um, and so that that came along on the way. But the trip to Barcelona, which was not long not long before that, was because I went to the new camp, um, to do a t- stadium tour, went into the museum, but uh, spending just see all the all the football trophies and all football memorabilia and, and so on. But then I was quite surprised that there was that there, but it wasn't as much of it as I thought I was going to see. Um, but there was basketball and there was water polo and there's everything Barcelona FC. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's what Bristol should do. Bristol should promote its sports teams as a city um, rather than try and let the sports teams just fend for themselves. Because when you go back to it, neither, and I've, I've, I include Bristol Rovers in this as well, the city as a city, and, I, and, I, and I've got to be very careful because I don't mean the supporters and I don't necessarily mean the people who have been good enough to sponsor the, the clubs in the past and they're doing it now. But there's not enough of the city itself that supports the sports teams. And when you think about it, Bristol is a, a city where people move to and businesses move to. And so they have loyalties elsewhere. So they want to come and watch a game of football, but they're not focused on the teams. And the teams aren't successful enough to, to attract those people in because... If you go to Liverpool, you're going to go and watch Liverpool or Everton. You're going to watch Premiership football. 
Manchester, Manchester City, Manchester United. Um, Bristol, are you going to watch Bristol City, Bristol Rovers, or, or are you going to dig the garden on a Saturday afternoon? You know, that's what's the wife going to get you to go shopping or whatever it may be. Um, so I just thought that if you could get the, if you, if you could get the scenario where the, the sports came together and effectively supported the city, then we could get the city then to support the sports. So that was the formation of Bristol Sport in my head, which is a long time before it actually took place. Mm. <laughs> um, but so when, so when the rugby came along um, and uh, we, again, similar sort of thing, we, the, the campaign started and we, we, you know, we picked it up off its bootstraps. It was minutes from going out of business and we were playing at the Mem. And I remember going to the uh, dressing room after the game. They lost to London Welsh, I think. Um, and everybody was down on the floor. And I said, and I'd, I'd already made the move then. We were going to move to Ashton Gate, which I tell you, it's very difficult to get the rugby people to want to move to Ashton Gate at that time. Yeah, I can I, yeah, it was one of those questions, one of those decisions that was, we're moving to Ashton Gate. It wasn't a question of any discussion after that. Um, and I said to them, I said, look, this, this place, um, yeah, this is a place of failure. You know, we're going to go to Ashton Gate, new start. This is where all the success is going to take place and we're going to do it all together. And then we've started, due to, I knew I'd have reaction from Bristol City fans about bringing rugby to Ashton Gate and sharing the stadium and everything else. But it's the right thing to do because if I was going to spend 50 odd million quid on, on redoing the, the stadium, then I needed as many people to be in that stadium as much as possible. Um, and that's not just for football, it's not just for rugby, but it's for everything. And, and that's how it's been developed and built. And, it's, and I'm pleased to say, you know, it, it, you know Ashton Gate is a, is a, is a business centre in its own right and, and definitely a profit centre in its own right, which just makes the group even more, you know, more stable. So uh, I'm, I'm very pleased where we've got to now. And, I'm, um, and overall, I'm just so pl- I think the, the current state where, uh, situation where we are with the stadium and now the two training grounds. Uh, for for both codes, fantastic. Just puts us in a, in a in a fantastic position. So, as I keep saying, as I said to them, there's no excuses now. You know, we've we've got all the facilities. We now we know we now got to make sure we're doing it on the pitch. Now we've seen the the, the Bears doing it at the moment, and now obviously the challenge is to get the Bristol City to do the same thing. Um, well, the, the, the high performance centre it drives high performance, and that's the clear idea, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, you, you know you can't tolerate. Um, people who are idle the time away and I think Bristol City have had a, a bit of a history of that you know I've been there in my time we've had players there have been really really good players but they're not team players they're looking after themselves they're, they're, they're more interested in their own future rather than the club's future what I've learned from the Bears if, you, if I'm honest is that and what Pat Lamb has instilled in them is the, is the culture and the journey and it's, it's like you said this is here's that we get, we've got to get the, the bus going in the right direction we've got to get the right people on the bus and in the, in the right seats and if you don't want to be on that bus get off you know, um, and and I think, yeah, and to be honest, Nigel Pearson's in the same category um, when you start talking to him. And, and that's what encourages me in that scenario. Um, and, um, but that's what we've got to have. Um, and we've been, to be quite honest, we've been too nice to people over the years because because we're in awe of them. You know, they're footballers and they're, they're, they're skilled and, 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 and they're our favourites and we want them to do well. But actually, everybody's got to be on the same page. And, yeah. When we've had promotions and things in the past, that's what we've had. But then it hasn't been able to, we haven't been able to see it through. And we must, we must we're probably in a better position now to see it through than we've ever been uh, with the with the under twenty threes and things coming up through now as well. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. we got a, we got a strong underbelly to the to the team now. We, we, we've never had that before. 
Oh, the academy is fantastic, and we've had Brian Tinian on before, who's you know the player pathway manager, and so many people have said that that role is is exactly what you need to 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 bring people through on that journey and set out the the, the three five year plans for these players, mm-hmm. so that they have a have a view of where they're going. But um, obviously, you, you touched on the other parts of Bristol Sport and the, the synergies that you'll get from that. I think you know with with Bristol Bears being so successful, Pat Lamb being a world class coach. Do you expect some sort of crossover? And is there crossover in terms of ideas? Oh, absolutely. And that, that's the whole pers- purpose of it, because you know, you, you you share those ideas and that that should benefit both, you know, all teams, including the basketball and the flyers as well. Um, and and we we have had that. I think there's always been a reluctance and, a, and more so probably on the football side than on the rugby side to to get involved with the other sports. Um because perhaps they're under greater pressure. Um, maybe they're a bit more selfish. I don't know. You know, it's, 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 everybody has, but I, but I know there's been that exchange of information and everything else. Uh, and I, the one thing I have to be very careful because I don't want to. I, I don't want to say to anybody in in the Bears, well, City do this, so you know it must be right. Or say to the City, you know, the Bears are doing this, you should be doing this. It, but they got to learn from each other and adapt it. because a bit like, like Rich doing his investment times, it's his product. Mm. Um, he's got to have that pride in it, and when it's successful, he's got to see that you know he, he's uh, uh, he, he's had the, he's got the benefit of that, and he's got the accolade for it. Um, but I think there's too much, if you're honest, I think there's too much fear in football, um, fear of failure, and you've got to overcome that and just focus on striving for that success that we all want. Well, I guess it's because the financial in football failure is huge, isn't it? I guess success and failure is not it's not just it's not just case getting relegated to a division; it is losing money and. Everything that goes with it. It is, but I, again, uh, I've always uh, you go through various phases, and and you 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 know my aim is to get Bristol City in the Premiership and to stay in the Premiership, not just to be there once. Um, and I know it's a tall ask, and it's always been a tall ask, and it, every year it gets it gets harder. But um, what is success? You know, we start the season off. And only three teams in your division can be successful, three out of 24. So the odds aren't in your favour. Three, three teams can be uh, can, can, could have a really poor season and be relegated. So, that, so you, 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 where, where, do you, where do you put yourself? Now, you've always got to aim for the top, uh, but, you, but you've also got to make sure you don't s- slip into that bottom bit. Um, and that's the, that's the hard balancing act. And... So I, I work on the basis that if you can put a team on the on the pitch that people want to come and see, enjoy coming and seeing it, and can associate with, that's half the battle. Because then the supporters who come each each week will come and uh, you know enjoy being there, enjoy the facilities, enjoy enjoy the the, the game, the atmosphere, um, and um, that's that you know that's a, that's a success. The fact that you know. We, we, as a football club, and I am very proud of this. Although we, we have come close once or twice in the past, you know, we've never failed to meet a payment. We've never failed to pay the wages. You know, we've looked after people, um, and uh, we still continue to do that now, even in, in these really tough times. Um, Which is fantastic in this current climate, Steve, and uh, everyone in in Bristol is really grateful. And I can't. It's very hard to get that message across. How grateful everyone is um, for that sustainability that you've brought to not only Bristol City, but Bristol Bears, the Flyers, etc. Um, before we wrap up this uh, the regular show episode, um, I just want to touch on the CBE. What does that mean to you? And what was the ceremony like? 
The ceremony was great, um, and it was it was you know. But we could, you know take three guests, uh, so Maggie, my wife, and John, son, and and Amy, my daughter, came. Uh, so it was great to share it with them. Um, it was great to be at Buckingham Palace, all togged up, um, being looked after. No, we had a we had a, a, a really great time, and it was a great honour. Um, but to be honest, I did have a uh, Maggie. Maggie will tell you this better than I do because the letter came through um, saying about it, and they ask you whether you're going to accept it or not. And I didn't know whether I wanted to accept it because um, in a sense, I, I, I've always been somebody to say, well, look, people could judge me on their own right. You know, so they judge me by my results, judge me by what I do. I don't I don't need awards or honours and things like that. I'm, I'm not doing it for that. And I didn't want it to feel that I was accepting it and, and showing off, I suppose, in, in that way. And uh, Maggie doesn't swear very often, but she swore me then. She said you, you would accept it. That's, and that's the paraphrase. Um, um, because of, it, it represents what everybody else has done with you. Um, and I know it's an old, a well-worn phrase, but it is true. It's, uh, you know, everybody at HL um, is, is party to that uh, over the years, and everybody in Bristol City Football Club and in Bristol Sport are party to it as well. So um, I'm, I'm also what, you know, what, what we're doing in the community through the sports clubs as well is all part and parcel of it. So, yeah, I, once 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 I was put right by my wife, um, I realised what what a great honour it, it was, and that uh, it, it represented so much not just to me personally and my family, but to, to everybody that uh, I've been associated with. So that was great. Brilliant, Rich. Any final words from you? Well, I'm lucky. This is a bit of a crawly thing to say now, but I'm lucky to have Steve in my personal life back in the day, and obviously in my football life. So thanks to Steve, I've got a comfortable surroundings my kids got a future when i'm long gone i'm sat in a wonderful stadium watching football so i can only thank steve and obviously peter on the other side for what they've done in my for me personally in my own life so thank you very much steve it's been amazing oh, well it's a pleasure Rich. but overall you know i think peter would say the same thing it's it's we we take great pleasure in seeing people be successful and being happy and that's what it's all about um hr epitomized that certainly over the years when you know when we we're all together and it's great to see you yeah you're still active i'm 50 years old yeah, and yeah, looking yeah. younger than ever <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't walk i'm just, I'm just sat in the chair. <laughs> they're gonna rule me out in a minute <laughs> brilliant thank you so I've much done, i've done that before now <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much steve for joining us i'm rich happy 50th birthday thanks patch thanks, thanks. steve okay thanks, thanks guys thanks everyone Take for care, listening everyone. Uh, do like, share and subscribe and we will be back again soon. Take care.